Well, good morning, Gateway. It is great to see you this morning. So thankful we get to gather together to worship the Lord this morning. As you're making your way to your seat, just want to remind you about several things coming up in the life of the church, is just so you're aware of them. All this information on our church website, so I encourage you to visit gatewaybaptist.com to learn more about that. As you know, we're journeying through 1 Peter. We're in week three of our new series. So if you're new to this and want to see where we've been, everything from the last two weeks is on our website, again, gatewaybaptist.com. But we have 1 Peter scripture journals. You've heard me mention these several weeks. I want to remind you, if you're visiting with us, these are copies of the scripture of the book of 1 Peter that we're working through this year. This blank on one side for notes and prayers, and it has a text description on the other. Those are available in the back of the room there, at the table by the door, and in the table in the hallway near the restrooms. Feel free to grab one on your way out. We would love for you to have one, or feel free to go grab it now. We'd love for you to have that as we work through 1 Peter as a church family. We've also mentioned the last few weeks, I want to remind you again about the Dwell Bible app. We want to do all we can to encourage you to be reading Scripture on your own during the week, to be listening to Scripture on your own during the week. And this is a great way to do it. Go to dwellapp.io slash sign up slash whiz slash gateway. There's normally a cost for this app, and the church is providing it for you with that link free of charge to you. We want you to do to have every resource you can to hear the Word of God. It's got great Bible plans to listen to. And you can listen to the book of 1 Peter on that. It's a great way to do that. Now, several things coming up in the life of the church we want to invite you to be part of. This afternoon at 4.30, there'll be a prayer time here in this room. Greg and Cecilia Till. Greg's one of our elders. Lift your hand, Greg, if anyone doesn't know who Greg is. Greg's one of our elders. will be leading an intercessory prayer time. 4.30 here today. We'd love for you to come. Uh, come pray with us. Now, on Tuesday morning, we're having summer play dates this summer. So parents with kids, if you want to get some ener your kids' energy out and do so in the air conditioning, because it's 100 degrees outside, the church gym is open on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 12. The kids can come play ping pong, play games, come play in the gym. This is not child care. Parents need to stay on site to help supervise their kids. So this is not a mom's day out. This is a Parents, you come build community with one another while your kids play. And for the kids who want to do baseball, there's baseball practice with Rick Evans at 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock on the field behind the building as well. Now, speaking of fun things to do coming up for the men, we continue our summer fellowships to build community. Axe throwing, men's axe throwing coming up in two Wednesday nights from now on July 20th. So not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. We'll be downtown at Civil Axe Throwing at 6 o'clock. We need you to register ahead. You see gatewaybaptist.com slash blog slash acts. There's a chance to do axe throwing with us, and then we'll go eat dinner together. If you've never done axe throwing, want to know more about it, Blake down here is our expert axe thrower. And so Blake can tell you all about the fun of axe throwing and how we can build community while we throw axes at targets together. So men, sign up on the website. Space is limited for that. So go ahead and register if you'd like to be part of that. Now, for all ages, July 28th, we're having a gateway movie night at 6.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary. We're going to show the movie called The Riot and the Dance. This is a nature documentary that's suitable for all ages, and it points us to the glory of God and His creation. There's no cost to attend, but we need you to register online. We're going to pull out the popcorn machine. We'll have snacks. It'll be a fun evening in the sanctuary together as we do a, we do a family movie night for all ages and all walks of life here on Thursday, July 28. Now, looking ahead, I know August still seems like a ways out, but two things in August we were out. Wednesday, August 3rd, we're doing a serve night at Capitol Heights Middle School. As you know, Gateway's adopted this school. It's one of the neediest schools in Montgomery. Lots of poverty, lots of issues, lots of struggles. And we do a Bible study there. We do a tutoring program there. But we want to help meet some of the physical needs. So on Wednesday night, August 3rd, we're going to have a serve night at 5.
So parents, bring your kids as well. We'll feed you a free Chick-fil-A dinner, and then we'll work together to serve this school here in Montgomery. And last one for this morning, for the ladies, coming up on August 13th on a Saturday, Precepts Ministry, that's led by Kay Arthur, they have a workshop on the essentials of Bible study, of how to learn how to study the Bible. And one of the certified precepts trainers is going to be here on site. This is not a simulcast. This is a live in-person training for the ladies of the church. And we're opening it to the whole community as well to come learn, ladies, how to deeply study the Word of God. That's 9 a.m. to noon on that Saturday, August 13th. There's no cost, but we need you to register. That's all available on our website as well. So lots coming up. All that is on the church website. I want you to encourage you to go check it out, gatewaybaptist.com, and make plans to join us for any of those opportunities. Let's turn our focus to the Lord as we prepare to sing to him. Can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read to us from Psalm 47 this morning as we think about glorifying the Lord and giving glory to him and praising him because he is worthy of all praise. Psalm 47, verses 6 to 9. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let's worship the God who is highly exalted this morning.
And great is the Lord.
Come behold, and come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. And He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity, and did our longing in our darkness now. Yeah. 
that we are recipients of your grace and your mercy, that you looked upon us in our helpless state. Instead of treating us as our sins deserved, you gave us forgiveness, you gave us redemption, you gave us new life in Christ. So we're grateful that we can take a few minutes to lift these praises back to you in song, to acknowledge that all we have has come from you, to acknowledge you alone are great, you alone are glorious, and you alone are worthy to be praised. Lord, we recognize as we get the joy of all this, there are so many right here in Montgomery, but to the ends of the earth who do not know you, do not know the hope we have, do not know the joy we have. So we pray for us individually and us collectively as a church that you would burden our hearts to take the gospel to the nations and to the neighborhoods right here. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We want to give you a missions update this morning. So Emily, if you want to come on up here. Emily Griffin is a new member from the past year. And Emily works in the U.S. office for a ministry in Kenya. And it is an orphanage and a, so much more than just an orphanage. Well, she Emily Griffin to come get a chance to share with you. And let's find a microphone for you. Um, there we go. So we'll have a microphone for you. But Emily's going to come tell you more about Mescal's Children's Center of Hope and what she does with it. Thank you so much, Grady. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm so grateful and excited to be able to share with you um, for just a few minutes uh, about a ministry that is really um, near and dear to my heart. It's called Meskel's Children's Center of Hope. 
so quite a mouthful. Um, so you'll just hear me calling it Mescals um, in our time this morning. But um, this ministry was founded by a lady who um, is from Western Kenya, one of the godliest women I've ever had the privilege to meet. Her name is Ruth Awar. She moved to Montgomery um, from Western Kenya in 1996. And when she came to the state, she had $20 in her pocket. But um, with limited resources, she just knew that the Lord was calling her to care for orphaned and vulnerable children in her home country of Kenya. And so um, the Lord allowed her to be able to open a small business in Selma. And every month for 10 years without telling anybody, without telling a soul, she sent almost all of the money that she made from that business back to family members in Kenya who would then use it um, to care for about 30 orphaned and vulnerable children in the community where she was from. Um, and so the Lord just kind of divinely through a church relationship here in Montgomery, because she's faithfully plugged into the body of Christ here, um, kind of crossed paths. And after about a year, Ruth finally um, told this friend what she had been doing quietly for years. And immediately when that happened, um, the Lord just kind of knitted their hearts together and they knew that they needed to kind of start sharing this story in a way um, that the Lord could use to, to let more people know about what was happening in Western Kenya. And and so when they did that, when they kind of started sharing that story, um, the Lord kind of went above and beyond, and he did um, more than, than we could ever ask or think and kind of started to grow that ministry through connecting sponsors here in the United States to these children that were in Kenya. And, guys, if you could go to that slide that has a picture of the kids on it. These are our, um, our kids today. There are, if you have any pictures, if you do not, that's fine as well. Okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll go with those. Um, so you guys will just have to go to uh, at Meskel's Kids on Facebook or Instagram to see um, the picture I'm talking about. But um, there are about 36 um, children and teenagers um, today who are cared for at Meskel's. And the most important way that they're cared for is that they sit under um, sound teaching of the gospel each and every day and are being discipled to know and to love the Lord. Um, and so... Even, even after, you know, a children's home, a safe and secure um, home was, was built for those children to live in, uh, the Lord just kind of kept going as he often does and does even more than we could ask or imagine. So now kind of under the umbrella of Meskel's Children's Center of Hope are other ministries that are taking the gospel um, to that community that is really underserved um, in a very poor and rural area of Kenya. Um, ministries that are... Um, teaching life skills to women so that they're able to care for their families, serving at-risk families who are families who are at risk of, of not being able to educate their children or even um, be able to have a meal on the table every day because circumstances are just so, so rough in that area. Um, but again, not, not with a heart to just have another program, not with a heart to just um, to give a handout or social welfare and to leave, um, to leave the most important work, which is sharing the gospel and seeing families and children come to know Christ. Um, that's the purpose behind everything that is done at Mess Schools. And so I get to work with this organization that I, I volunteered with for years before I ever came on staff. Um, and so I get to be in Kenya usually a couple of times a year. And I was there recently, a couple of months ago, 
And one of the most exciting things that we have recent, in recent years started um, is a primary school. Um, so for students right now, kindergarten through fourth grade, um, children that even, even public school cost money to attend in Kenya. And so if your family uh, can't afford to pay those school fees, then children really have no option. They just don't, don't get the privilege of receiving an education. And so this school um, is, a Christian, is a Christian institution that's designed for the most vulnerable children in the community. Um, if their family can't pay for them to come, they can still come on sponsorship. Um, and so now there are about 100 kids each and every day receiving this education. And uh, my team and I, when we were there in April, got to be there for the first ever Meskel's Christian Academy kindergarten graduation. Now, at kindergarten graduation, we've all been to those here in the States. And you may think that if you've ever been to a kindergarten graduation, that sometimes they might last a little bit of a long time. Well, well this one lasted about five hours. And um, I wanted to show you um, a video of the kindergartners as they were uh, processing in that day. So, you know, if a graduation was five hours of that, then you would probably have a pretty good time with that graduation just like we did. Uh, and, it, and it really, really was. Uh, but one very special moment um, from that kindergarten graduation was um, there's a little girl that attends Meskel's Christian Academy. And she also lives at the children's home, Meskel's Children's Center of Hope. And so uh, there was one part in the ceremony where they were kind of recognizing uh, the individual students. And so they would, they would call them out one by one. They would, their family would come over. They would celebrate them. They would put lays around their necks. And they would, you know, lift them high in the air and just celebrate everything their student had accomplished that year. And so we were all enjoying that, and then I just kind of looked up, and I saw that Noel, um, our kindergartner at Meskels, was next in line. And I kind of had this moment of panic because, I mean, Noel doesn't have a family there to celebrate her. And I just had this thought of, you know, what's going to happen, like, when they call her name, and she, and she walks out across the field. Um, and so I was kind of, you know, getting a little path clear to myself to maybe be able, if I needed to go up and, um, and walk with her. Uh, but when they called Noelle's name, uh, instead, something else happened. And so um, instead, I was able to whip out my phone and, and take a video of it, but wanted to show you that moment as well. that video a lot of times, but I will never get old. Uh, because in that moment, it was just, uh, she was celebrated, I, I know, because I saw them all more than any um, child that was there that day. Um, and I just thought it was such a beautiful picture and a beautiful moment um, of just a spiritual reality that takes place when, when we are orphans and we are brought into um, the family of God. And, um, and so that is, that is the message. It is everything that Meskels is built upon. Um, and so I would just ask you to please um, in the coming days as you're, as you're thinking through and you're praying through um, different missions that Gateway and uh, supports around the world that you would think of Meskels, you would, you would pray for our partners.
partners and our team there, um, they, they live in an environment, they live in a place in the world where uh, just the, the practical needs that we need to physically live each and every day um, are so hard, and spiritual darkness is deep and great there. Um, and this ministry, which they are leading and they created, is a light for the gospel in that community. Um, so just pray for them as they continue um, to share the love of Christ and to disciple people in that community to, to know and love the Lord. So thank you so much for letting me share. What a blessing. Thank you so much, Emily. If you would just bow with me uh, in prayer as we go before the Lord. Lord, we want to start today just agreeing with the psalmist. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. And fathers, we come before you this day, Lord, we ask that our heart's desire would be for your glory above all that your name would be made famous, all for your name's sake. And, Lord, I know that I find that challenging because I am so focused so often on my own, um, uh, myself, Lord, so inward, and yet you've called us to live for your glory. And, Lord, we cry out to you to help us to do that. And, Lord, as we come before you, we thank you for Emily. Thank you for her heart that she's just shared with us, Lord. What a blessing. And, and just pray you'd continue to bless in that ministry, um, Lord, for those children, for the home, for the school, Lord, just for the hearts of those kids, and then all the parents and all those surrounding, Lord. We just pray that it would be a huge impact. And pray for Emily, Lord, that she would be encouraged. And Lord, just pray that we would love her well and support her well as she goes out as a minister of the gospel. And Lord, we also thank you for for Lenny and Debbie, as they continue year after year and day after day, Lord, to minister to so many in need, uh, Lord, through shepherd staff, Lord, as they give their hearts away day after day, Lord, and uh, their resources. Lord, I pray that uh, you would encourage them and equip them. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a blessing to them in this, Lord. We also pray, Lord, as we always do, for Another church in town, another pastor. And today we pray for Pastor Mike Cobb of Delreda United Methodist Church. Lord, and we just pray that his congregation would be led by the Holy Spirit. Lord, to, to, to move away from craving knowledge. Lord, to actually living out of that knowledge. Lord, we want to know you. Lord, we want to know you more and more to transform us so that we might, Lord, have a ministry of reconciliation to those around us. And I pray that over Delray United Methodist Church. Lord, we pray across the world as we pray for uh, Amir and Amal in northern Africa as they lead a Bible study of new, believer, new believers, Lord, in, in their language. Lord, just pray for gospel fruit, Lord, for lives to be saved, Lord, for people's eyes to be open to the gospel, Lord. We're just so grateful for the gospel, Lord, in your grace. Lord, we thank you for your provision to our body, Lord, in so, so many ways, Lord, so many people that want to serve, 
Lord, so many people that give of their resources regularly. Lord, we're just grateful for how you supply all of our needs so that we can, Lord, minister the gospel uh, here in Montgomery. And finally, Lord, we just thank you for Grady. Thank you for this uh, under-shepherd that you've sent our way, Lord, who faithfully teaches your word week after week. Lord, who spends much time in study and prayer, Lord, to bring us your word faithfully. I pray, Lord, that we would have hearts to receive and ears to hear and, and eyes to see today as he speaks your word. We bless your name, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And boys and girls, first to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth grade, you're going to Mr. Zach and Mr. Rachel today. And parents, if your first to fourth graders are headed there when the service is over, you'll pick them up in the blue hallway in the gym building, just near the Coke machine back there. So that's where you will find them after the service is over. Don't you find First Peter chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, First Peter chapter 1. This is our third week in our year-long journey through this amazing letter that God has given to us. For the past two Sundays, we looked at Peter's greeting. So yes, the first two weeks was just his greeting as he begins the letter. That was one sentence in the Greek. And in the last two weeks, in verses 1 and 2, we saw so much truth in these opening words. We saw the nature of Scripture, how it's God's Word and God's revelation for us. We saw our need for community to be immersed in the body of believers where we serve the Lord together. We saw our identity, how we're chosen by God, how we are elect exiles in his words from verse 1, and yet how we're strangers in the world that we belong to God. And then we saw as well how God has made us different, different from how we used to be before we met Christ and how he's made us different from the world because we now belong to Christ and seek to follow him. We saw ultimately in these first two verses his saving grace and then his transforming grace, that it's all of God, it's all his grace gift to us. And that was just in his greeting. We pick up this morning in verse 3. And if you look in your Bible, verses 3 to 12 is a section here. And in the original Greek in which Peter wrote, verses 3 to 12 was just one sentence. And no, I'm not going to do verses 3 to 12 today in this one sentence off here. But this is now the introduction to the letter of verses 1 and 2 was his greeting. Verses 3 to 12 become Peter's introduction. And as the introduction, he does not give us any commands. There'll be plenty of the imperatives, plenty of the commands that will follow in the verses to come. But in here, there are no commands given to us. Rather, Peter begins the letter in these verses by painting a picture for us of what a follower of Christ looks like. He paints a picture for us of what it means to be elect exiles in the world. And he describes for us what the Christian life is to look like. Now, in doing so, he does not begin where I would begin if I was writing this. He does not begin with, here's some things you need to do as a follower of Christ. He does not begin here with um, things about your present struggles or how to live it out presently. Rather, he begins his introduction pointing to the future, pointing to our future hope. And all he's going to say, he begins forward-looking for us, pointing us to the future, particularly to eternal life and eternity. So before we jump into his introduction, since that's where he's going, I want to ask you a question this morning of when was the last time you pondered eternity? Like, when was the last time you really thought about eternity? Not just a passing thought, but you actually took time to read the scriptures of what God said about eternal life and to meditate on it and pray and to reflect on it and rejoice. When was the last time we actually stopped to ponder eternal life? When was the last time we paused from the busyness of life to actually think about the life to come? Now, for some of you, it's been recent because you've had loved ones who have passed recently and you've 
been reminded of mortality and what's to come. Some of you have dealt with unexpected and scary medical news and it's caused you to focus on eternity. Some of you have been walking through deep trials that have caused you to think long-term to eternity. But for many of you, it perhaps has been a while since you thought about heaven and eternity. Many of you are younger and honestly, mortality and end of this earthly life seems like a long way away. Many of you perhaps are not in serious trials right now and it's easy to focus on the here and now. And if you're like me, a lot of us, we're just so busy we struggle to stop and reflect on anything, much less things that are so far out like eternal life and the life to come. Friends, but regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, today's verses are an encouragement to us, a call to us to pause and to turn our focus to eternity. So we're going to look this morning at verses 3, 4, and 5. We look at verses 3 to 5 of chapter 1, be looking, what about eternity are we to think about? If this is a call to think about eternity, what part of eternity are we to focus on here? Then also be looking for how does that change us? Because Peter's writing this to change us, to be part of God's transforming grace. This is not just nice information for our consideration. This is to transform our lives. So what does thinking about eternity, how does it change us? So what are we to think about and how does it change us? Let's look at verses 3 to 5. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, and we will have the words on the screen for you also, start in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Would you pray with me? Father, there is so much truth in these several verses here. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding of your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the wonder of this. And Lord, that you would take us today and for all of us, for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, that you would turn our focus from the here and now to eternity and that we would find hope and we would find comfort, we have find belonging, we find everything we need thinking about you and what you're providing for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, to understand what Peter is doing here, the order of his thought is really important. He has a very intentional order to what he does here. And the way he structures his argument here is perhaps much like something you have at home. So we got a little visual aid for us this morning. <clears throat> That's not real pretty here, but yours at home probably is not very nice either, right? <laughs> Anyone recognize one of these? Your step stool, right? Do you have one of these in your garage or in your house? This is the one for the church, so it's covered with paint and dirt from all the light bulbs we've changed and walls have been painted over the years. But perhaps you have a step stool or step ladder like that. Now, why do we use a step ladder like this? Well, if you're like me, there's things on our shelf in our master bedroom that's hard to get to, right? So you need this, and you have to climb each step to get to the top to see what you need to see. And with each step you climb, you get closer to what you need. With each step you climb, you get to where you can see what you are looking for. That is exactly what Peter is going to do with his argument here today, with his teaching for us today here. He is going to start with a foundation that the stepladder steps on, and then he's going to show us three things. And the three things that Peter shows us are not synonyms. They're not the same in that they build on the other. So he's going to tell us one step, two steps, and three steps to help us get to what he's trying to help us focus on, and that is eternity. But before he gets into the three things he wants us to know about eternity, he starts with the foundation, because what the ladder rests on really matters. Now, I mentioned we have a step stool like this in our master bedroom closet because we store a lot of stuff up high. All my backpacking gear is up there, but for some reason, all of our extra paper towels for the kitchen are on the top shelf of our master bedroom closet. 
So I have to get a step stool out to get to the paper towels every week when we run out of those. Now, also in our bedroom closet is this mattress on the floor because our little Timothy loves to sleep and he needs to sleep away from the noise of big brothers and big sister running around. So there's a mattress on the floor. Now, one day we'd run out of paper towels and it was my job to get the step stool out to go get them down and I didn't really want to move the mattress. So I put this, not on the solid floor, but on the mattress, thinking surely I can balance to get up to the top. And it was not a pleasant experience. If you've ever tried that, a step stool on a mattress is not a good idea. It's only the grace of God. I didn't kill myself, but the ladder did not let me get to what I needed to because it was on the wrong foundation. And that is the image that Peter is showing us here. He wants to point us to the hope of heaven. He wants to point us to eternity, but we cannot get there if we do not have the foundation in place. Now, what is the foundation? Peter's going to show us it is God's grace. The foundation that everything else, so the three steps he's going to show us, has to be landed on the grace of God. And God's grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. It is God giving us what we could never, ever own, earn on our own. It is all the grace, the goodness of God. Now, where is this in our text? Hey, look at the beginning of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here it is. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, let's just stop right there. We're told that God has caused us. God has caused something to happen to us. He's reminding us that what we have is nothing to us. It is all the grace of God, all the will of God. And what has God caused to happen to us? Verse 3, he has caused us to be born again. God has caused us to be born again. Now, this is an image that Jesus used this is not unique to Peter, but Peter's pulling what Jesus taught. You remember back in John chapter 3, when the religious leaders named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. In John chapter 3, verse 1, you see the account of it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, here it is, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, verse 4, he explains what he means. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is of old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says to him, verse 5. I think we have it there. There you go. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, born of water is your physical birth, and born of Spirit, this is your spiritual new birth in Christ, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So we see there that Jesus is telling us that we need to be born again. Peter picks up on this back in verse number three here and says that God has caused us to be born again. We have a new nature, not because of us, because God has done it for us. He's changed us. He's made us different. And we saw last week our status has changed. We saw our desires have changed. We saw that what we do changes. But Peter's going to highlight one other thing that changes here, and our hope changes. What we focus on changes because we now have a new nature, because we are now born again. Now, to help us see how our hope changes here, Peter's going to kind of climb this ladder, so to speak. After he tells us we are born again, there's three prepositional phrases. So again, for Miss Amy or Miss Jennifer students in here, there's three prepositional phrases that follow being born again. And in the Greek, they all mean into. God has caused us to be born into three different things. Look at it, verse number three. He's caused us to be born again into a living hope. Verse 4, he's caused us to be born again into an inheritance. Verse 5, he's caused us to be born again, it's a little bit later on, into a salvation. Now, it may say for a salvation, but it's the same Greek preposition. We we're born into a salvation. So Peter's saying you're born into three things. When God causes you to be born again, you gain a living hope, 
You gain an inheritance and you gain a salvation. Those are the three steps he's trying to get us to climb, so to speak, to understand hope and to focus on what we need to get through the trials of today. So with the foundation that we have the grace of God and everything is of God's grace, the first step he has us take is to understand we are born into a living hope, that we are born into a living hope. Now, what do we mean by hope? You've heard me say this before. Hope is not, I I hope so. In our culture, we talk about hope in such a loose way. I hope my team will win. I hope that person will like me. I hope it's not going to rain during my golf game, whatever. But in the scriptures, hope is a sure confidence. In scripture, hope means you're confident something's going to happen. One of the authors I was reading this week said it well. He said, hope is a confident expectation and a joyful anticipation. It's like, that's good. Hope is a confident expectation and a joyful anticipation. And if we have biblical hope, we are confidently expecting something to happen. We're not wavering. We're not questioning. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt it will happen. And we are joyfully anticipating what that is to come. Confident expectation, joyful anticipation. And so we have a hope, we are told here. But notice we're told we have a living hope. Now, what in the world does that mean? We are born into a living hope. Well, that means it's not a dead hope. A dead hope is a false hope, a hope that doesn't really give you anything that's going to help you, that's not going to sustain you, not going to strengthen you. But we are given a living hope, a hope that is full of life and a hope that gives life. And that's the first step Peter's trying to take us to as we try to focus on the right thing here. He's saying God has not only given you his grace, God now gives you a hope that will bring life to you. So if you are an elect exile, his imagery of verse 1, if you are born again, his imagery here of verse 3, in other words, if you are a follower of Christ, God gives you a hope that will give you life. Even if your body is wasting away, even if your circumstances are falling apart, even if you're shunned by others, God is giving you a hope that is a living hope that will give you life. Now, before he explains in the next phrase more of what that hope is, it has an important phrase here for us back in verse 3. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's giving us a hope through the resurrection of Christ. Now, why is this so important? How does the resurrection give us hope? Well, he's doing two things with this. First, he's pointing us back to that foundation. So if the first step that we're on is that we have a living hope here, he's pointing you back down to that foundation that it rests on, that we have no hope apart from the resurrection of Christ. Because the resurrection of Christ reminds us our sin has been dealt with. The the Father has accepted the payment in our place. Atonement is complete, and so that we can be forgiven. So he's reminding us, if you have hope, it comes ultimately from the grace of God secured through the resurrection of Christ. Love how it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says that in the negative, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. But the flip is true. If Christ has been raised and he has been raised, then what you've been taught in the Gospels is true and your faith is not in vain. Your faith is real and your faith is giving you life. And so Peter from the beginning is saying, you need hope. Life is hard. But don't forget your hope comes because of the resurrection of Christ because your sins are forgiven. But what he's doing here is he's not just reminding us of the foundation. He's pointing you up to the second step of the ladder. He just told you there's a living hope. He's about to explain on the next rung of the ladder what the hope is. And so he reminds you of the resurrection to begin to point you to that. And the reality he's pointing you to is if Christ has been raised and you're united with Christ, you too will have a resurrection one day that death is not the end for you. Philippians chapter 3 verses 9 through 11 reminds us of this. That we're to be found in him in Christ, 
not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, know Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Peter inserts here the importance of the resurrection to remind us the foundation of the grace of God, because that's the hope we have. But to point us to what our living hope is in is that we will have a resurrection one day. So he then points us to the second step. The foundation, we are God's people by God's grace. The first step of the ladder to find hope, God has given you a hope in his grace. It's a confidence that God gives you that gives you life. And now in step two of that ladder, he's going to tell you more clearly what your confidence is in. Look at verse number four. He says, you are born again into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he says this living hope you have, this hope that gives you life, is really a hope in an inheritance that is to come. Now, if you think of an inheritance, it's a gift given based on a relationship, right? You don't get an inheritance from your best friend. You don't get an inheritance from a stranger. You get an inheritance from your family. It's a gift that's given on the basis of a family relationship. It's not demanded. It's not earned. It's freely given to a family member. And what Peter is reminding us is when we are born again, we are born again into God's family. And he's promised us an inheritance, something that is still to come. And what is that inheritance, friends? It is eternal life with Christ. It's eternal life with God. When we think about eternal life with God, it's not just I'm going to live forever floating on a cloud in heaven. It's I will be in the new heavens and the new earth, enjoying God's perfect presence, enjoying a perfect community, and seeing God for who he is, and doing so in a glorified body as well. It is everything perfected and enjoying God's presence for all eternity. We get a glimpse of this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is, again, the imagery of this book that we're exiles. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Friends, what Peter's pointing us to is a day that is coming when Christ makes all things new, when he makes everything right. He's turning our focus to a hope we have, not in this world, but a hope in what is to come. And it's going to be so different than what we've experienced here. Notice the words that describe our inheritance. It is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading, it is kept in heaven for you. He says imperishable, it'll never die, it will never decay. What God is offering to us will never break down in any way. It is undefiled, it will never be polluted by sin, it will never be corrupted. It is unfading, it can never grow dim, it can never lose its beauty, and it's kept, it can never be taken from us. Peter's trying to take us that step up the ladder to see more clearly what awaits us. It's not just a general hope, but it's a hope in what is to come. It's a hope in something so specific and so different than we've experienced. He uses these four phrases to help us grasp the magnitude of it. And friends, what he describes is the exact opposite of this earthly experience, isn't it? Everything you and I experience in this life is perishable. Our bodies break down, our homes break, our cars quit working, our technology fails, our clothes get holes in it. On and on we go. Everything we have, including ourselves, will perish. But what is coming, the inheritance is imperishable. It will never decay, never die. Everything in this life is defiled. Everything we experience has been corrupted by sin. Every relationship you and I have has been corrupted by sin, primarily our own sin. Everything we experience has been under the curse, but the day is coming we have something undefiled, 
They'll not be corrupted by sin. They'll not be under the curse. It'll be completely different, undefiled. And friends, everything in this life is fading. Everything we have loses its beauty, right? Everything we have grows dim. Everything we own, from the houses, the paint starts peeling, our clothes start to fade, our own bodies start to fade, our eyesight fades, and then everything we have can be taken or broken. What if we have that's not been a value, that's not been broken, or we know will be broken, or could be stolen? But the day is coming that we will have things that not only don't fade, but they cannot be taken from us. And so Peter's saying, you're in Christ, you're elect exiles, that's your foundation. Now take a step up to find hope. Remember, God is giving you more than just salvation. God has given you a hope, an abiding hope that will change him. What is that hope? He says, now take the second step up the ladder here. That hope is in something so different than you experience in this earthly life. It is something that is undefiled, that is unfading, is imperishably kept for you. Now, friends, before we move on to the top step, we need to be clear here. What Peter promises, what God is promising us here in verse 4 is not a promise for this life. Many people have gone astray thinking that God has to heal me if I ask, and God has to fix these problems if I ask. Friends, God has to do nothing except for what God wills to do. Now, we in faith can go to him, ask for things, but God's will is supreme, not our demands. In this life, we will not get all these blessings now. We will not have a life that is in this earth is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Rather, Scripture tells us the opposite. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, we're told that our, outer, our inner self is being renewed, but our outer self is wasting Away. There's no promise in Scripture that we can stop our outer self from wasting away. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. God doesn't promise us a trial-free life. Much Scripture points us to the trials that will come, as does this book. Nor does God promise that every relationship will be harmonious and happy in this world. 1 Peter 4, 14 assures us that you can be insulted for the name of Christ. You're still blessed by God in those moments. So when we look at verse 4 of this amazing hope we have in an inheritance, friends, that is not an inheritance on this earth today. And we need to be careful of not putting our hope that everything's going to be made right now. Peter's saying, look to the future, look to eternity when all this is made right. You've heard me say so many times, but God never promises to get you and I from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, most comfortable way possible. That's not God's will for us. His will is much richer and much better for us. So Peter's turning our mind here to a future hope, not a today hope on this. We're going to find hope for today as we look to the future. So what is Peter doing with his argument? He's saying, you're the elect exiles, you're the chosen of God, that's your foundation, it's all of God's grace. Now take a step up when life is hard, and remember that God's going to give you hope, a living hope, a hope that will give you life not based on your circumstances. And he goes, but take a step higher to get more clarity on what's on that top shelf. And what that hope is, that living hope, is something that's an inheritance. It's not today, but it's what's still to come. It's your eternal life with God. But Peter now says, take one more step to see what's at the top, to see what you're to be hoping. And he says, climb up to that third step of the ladder. And here's the other thing that you are born again into. If you are born again to a living hope, you're born again to an inheritance. Now in verse 5, you're now born again into a salvation. Now our translation says for a salvation, but in the Greek is the exact same word that's translated to in the others. You're being born again into a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Now friends, when we talk about salvation or most of our normal language of it, we're thinking past tense, right? I was saved on this date and this time. We're talking about when we were justified, right? When God saved us and we first experienced his grace. And that's an appropriate way, a good way to talk about salvation. But sometimes when we talk about salvation, 
We talk about a present tense. I am being saved from the power of sin. And we talk about how Christ has freed us from the power of sin and how we're going in godliness. And that's sanctification. That's part of salvation as well. But when Peter talks about salvation, in much of this book, he's looking future tense at what we would call glorification. Because our salvation is past tense when we were justified. It is present tense when we're sanctified. But it's also future tense when we will be glorified. And when Peter talks about salvation, he most of the time is talking future tense of this idea of glorification. When our salvation is complete, when we experience the full benefits of our redemption, when we live in the new heavens and the new earth, have our resurrection bodies and experience God in all of his glory. And he reminds us we don't have that yet. Yes, we are already saved. Yes, we are being saved. But this full salvation we don't have yet. Notice verse 5. We're saved through faith into a salvation ready to be revealed. It's not been fully revealed yet. God's told us what it's like, but we haven't experienced it yet. It will be revealed in the last time when Christ returns. Friends, Peter's recognizing that life is hard. Life is full of trials. Life is full of suffering. Life is full of hardships and sickness and all those things. And God is with us through all of it. And there's so much hope in that. But he's saying, turn your mind to what is still to come. You are chosen in God. You belong to him. You have his grace. Now take a step back and remember that he has given you a hope that will sustain you when life is hard. And what is that hope? Take the next step up. It's a hope in an inheritance, something that is much better than this world offers. And what is that? It's the top rung of that ladder, that top step. You're looking out to the day when you will see God face to face, when you have a resurrection body, when you experience a new heavens and new earth, when everything is made right. He's saying that is your hope. Live for that. Live with eternity in view. Don't get stuck in the problems now. Live with eternity in view. Climb to the top of that ladder, remembering who you are in Christ, remembering his hope, remembering how it is changing you, what is to come, and remembering that you have full redemption, salvation coming. As you climb that ladder, that raises two questions for us. Number one, how can we be sure this is really real? If we take time and we focus on the grace of God and we think about the step of living hope and we think about the step of thinking about our inheritance and we think about the step of thinking about our full salvation, how can we be sure that day really will come for us? Well, Peter answers it for us in this text, and he answers it with telling us the nature of God, his attributes. In fact, he bookends this, these verses with that two of the attributes of God, two descriptions of the character, the nature of God. Notice where he begins with in verse 3 here. He said, according to his great mercy. Peter starts off here with the mercy of God. What is mercy? Mercy is God's compassion for sinners like you and I. Mercy is God's free gift he's giving to us of not treating us like our sins deserve. So his mercy is his compassion and him not treating us like our sins deserve. This is reminding us that God looked upon us and wasn't like, oh, look, there's a good person. I'll be kind to them. No, his mercy, he looked upon us and saw a group, all of us, who deserve to go to hell because we've offended God and rejected him. And instead, he showed compassion to us and he put his mercy on us and he put his affections on us and chose to redeem us when we did not deserve it. So we can be confident this will happen, not because we're not trying to get to God, but because he came after us. And when God comes after us, his will cannot be stopped. And we can be confident that he's put his mercy on us. Therefore, he will fulfill his plan for us to give us this inheritance, to give us this full salvation in the last time. But not only his mercy do we see here, notice we also see here his, we call it his omnipotence, his all power, omni, all potence, power, all powerfulness. God can do whatever God wants to do, and no one and nothing can stop him. We see his power, his omnipotence here in verse 5. We're told, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are told it's by God's power. 
The God who spoke and the world came into being because he's so powerful. The God who spoke and storms stopped. The God who speaks and the dead come back to life. That same God who has such power that where he can speak and things happen now directs that power to do things for us. Verse 4, notice the phrase right before God's power. We're told this inheritance we have is kept in heaven for you. Now in the Greek language where Peter wrote here, kept here is passive. Meaning this is not you keeping it and you holding on to it. Someone else is holding it, is keeping it for you. And that someone is God. That is God's power is keeping this inheritance for us. And therefore we can be sure we will get it. But even more personally, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded. That God is guarding us. Now, in the Greek language, when you see the word guarded, there's two different meanings that can be here. Most of the scholars I've read believe it's both of these. We talk about being guarded. One, it can be being protected from outside attack, to be protected from outside attack. And that's what God does for us. He guards us from the schemes of the enemy. He guards us from falling away from him. I love how 1 Corinthians 10, 13 describes it. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Here's another attribute of God. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Do you realize that? That God will not let Satan tempt you in ways that will cause you to fall. That with every temptation you face, there is a way out. And he tells us that. With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God is guarding us from those outside things. It doesn't mean those temptations go away, but God is guaranteeing that we will never face a temptation that we cannot resist by his grace. He's guarding us from attack. When we see the Greek word guarded here, there's a second meaning for it. And it's used of guards keeping prisoners from escaping. And that's another sense of here. God is keeping our hearts to him to where we do not run away from him. He is keeping us focused on him. In other words, he's giving us faith. That's what it says there back in verse 5. You are guarded through faith. That God is securing us and holding us so our faith does not waver. So we do not turn from him. He's guarding us from us, friends, as well. I love how, it's, how he said it to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. So Jesus says this to the guy who wrote this book. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Jesus was guarding Peter from Peter, and Jesus guards me from me and guards you from you. He is guarding us to keep our faith strong so we do not run from him. That's why I love one of the songs we sing regularly here. We sing, when I think my faith may fail, he will hold me fast. Because he's the one holding us, friends. It's not that my faith is so strong and that's why I keep pursuing Christ. No, my faith is weak and your faith is weak. But God in his grace is guarding us, not just from outside attacks, but is guarding us from us so that we keep pursuing him. That's why you have this beautiful assurance in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. So we're just reading about this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unpolluted, kept in heaven for you. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is even able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So friends, we can be confident that if we are resting on the grace of Christ, that we have received a saving and transforming grace, then this process of God giving us a hope that is living, a promise of an inheritance, and this assurance of a full salvation where we experience him fully for all eternity, we can be sure that will happen because it's based not in me saying a prayer. It's not based on me trying to figure things out. It's based on the mercy of God and the power of God pursuing us and holding us. Now, friends, that raises one more question for us. What difference does this make? If we really take the time to focus on eternity, to go back to scriptures and to read the scriptures and to pray over the scriptures and to think about eternal life and this inheritance that awaits us and this full salvation that awaits us, what difference does that make today? Two things. Number one, 
He gives us strength to endure whatever we have to face today. He gives us strength to endure whatever we have to face today. We've just seen this, friends. Life is hard. There's no promise that it'll be easy, but God has promised to give us strength for today. Verse 5, we just saw, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. That God promises to walk with us through our hardships and trials we walk through. He will give us the faith to do so. And one way he does that, he turns our focus from the here and now to eternity. To realize this is temporary, this trial is temporary. And eternal life with him, with this inheritance, with this full salvation is still coming. And so he will sustain us and give us the strength we need for today. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is an amazing text. He says, we do not lose heart. Now, the fact he has to say that means there's a danger of us losing heart, right? And you've been there and I've been there. When life is hard and it feels like things are falling apart and life doesn't make sense and we're going, Lord, what's going on? Why? Where are you? God's saying you don't have to lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How so? For this light momentary affliction. Now, just pause there. We're going to explore this more next week when we get to the next few verses on trials. But Paul looks at this awful trials he's going through, far beyond anything any of us have been through. And he says, this is a light momentary affliction. He's not making light of his sufferings, but he's looking at them in light of eternity. He's saying, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. I mean, let those words sink in. We have an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Again, this life is perishable. What's coming is imperishable. This life is defiled. What's coming is undefiled. Just keep going down all these comparisons we just saw. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, isn't that our danger and our temptation to get focused on the trials and the hardships? Now it says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's exactly what Peter's trying to help us do, what Paul articulated in 2 Corinthians. He's turning our focus from the temporal things that are hard to the eternal things that are glorious beyond we can imagine. So what difference does this make as we climb that ladder and focus on the salvation that we will have in Christ? It gives us strength for today. But number two, it leads us to praise God. It leads us to praise God. Friends, Christians are a strange people. In the midst of hardships and sufferings that we walk through, we're rejoicing in God. We're not rejoicing in the hardship, but we're rejoicing in God and we're praising him. And in the midst of people who are grieving and struggling and life doesn't make sense and life isn't certain, they're still praising God. Some of you this morning have come through incredibly difficult weeks and yet you're here singing how great God is. That doesn't make sense to the world, but it makes sense because of what we have in Christ. As we understand what is still to come, it leads us to praise God. Notice how our text began today. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed is just a word you find all over Scripture that's used to praise God. And as Peter thinks through what he's about to say, that what he's just said, that we have the saving and transforming grace of God, that's our foundation. As he thinks about we have a living hope, a hope that gives us life, as we think about that hope is in an inheritance that's far beyond anything we've experienced, and that ultimately it's us understanding the salvation that we have and yet is still to come. He thinks about that and he goes, blessed be God, praise be to God, that he praises him because he cannot help but praising God for God's grace and his mercy that he gives to us, that sustains us and gives us hope and peace in the midst of all the hardships that we face. So he gives us both strength for the day and a heart to praise him no matter what we face. So in light of all that, I want to give us a question is the main idea for today of this text. Now think back to the first question at the beginning of the message 30 minutes ago. When was the last time you thought about eternity? Because remember what happens when we think about eternity, how we climb that ladder and find hope and peace 
and joy. So here's my question for us today. Are we so focused on the hope of eternity with God that we find both strength and a desire to praise God even in our trials? Friends, are you and I at a place where focused on eternity with God, that when we get up in the mornings, the Holy Spirit takes our minds to think about eternity. As we read scripture, we see the glories of eternal life with God. Are we focusing on that in our thoughts and in our scripture readings, in our prayers, and the way we converse with one another? Are we so focused on beyond just the here and now to eternity that we're finding strength, whatever lies today, and we're finding a heart that wants to praise God, not just on the good days, but on all days, because we realize how good God is. Friends, how about for you? Are you focusing on God and the hope of eternity in such a way that you are finding strength and you are finding a heart to praise God in the midst of all you face? Our prayer for us this week is that God would give us hearts that long to see him, that long to read his word, that long to think about what is to come, and it would give us strength and joy in whatever we face this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what a grace gift it is that you've revealed yourself to us. Lord, thank you for telling us how we can find hope and joy in the midst of all the hardships of life. And so, Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here who does not know that foundation of knowing Christ and knowing your saving grace and experiencing your transforming grace, I pray today you'll be turning their hearts to see that, to not trust in externals, to not trust in things they've done, but to see their need for you and you alone. And Lord, for all of us who know you, Lord, I pray today you would remind us that you give us a hope that produces life in us. Not a hope we manufacture ourselves, not something we try to create, but something that you and your grace give to us. Lord, I pray that you give me and give these brothers and sisters a hunger this week for that type of living hope. And Lord, I pray this week as well that you would give us much grace to stop from our busyness, to stop from our distractions, and to remember the inheritance that we have that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for us. Lord, would you turn our minds this week from the things that so often consume us to what is truly eternal and lasting. Lord, as you do so, I pray you would just anchor us in knowing that we belong to you and that we would have a longing in our hearts for that day that we see you face to face. Lord, I pray as we long for those things and think about those things, that all of us would find strength this week for whatever path you would have us walk down. We'd find joy this week that cannot be helped but expressed in song to you. So we pray your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us and be transforming us this week to be your elect exiles on whatever path you have us walk, wherever we go. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing about our hope in Christ? How great the chasm that lay between us How high the Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine? 
just where you're standing, would you take a minute and praise God for his mercy and his power that has saved you? you take a minute and praise God and thank him that sin's curse has been lifted from you, that you're set free from the penalty and the power of sin. And would you take just a minute to ask God to fix your eyes on Christ this week and to give you a living hope that will bring life to you this week no matter what you face. Lord, you have heard the prayers of your saints, your people. So we pray you'll do what we cannot do. Lord, you would give us hope, you give us joy, you give us peace this week. You turn our mind to you, giving us a desire to praise you, a desire to study your word, a desire to commune with you, or a desire to be transformed by you. Do in us what we cannot do this week for your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday.